Amen. Well, um, one of the greatest missionaries um, that I remember growing up, and I am just always so excited to hear, um, is the story of Ed McCauley and Roger Udarian, Nate Saint and Pete Fleming and Jimmy Elliott. And if you don't know them, they are five missionaries who were actually killed on January 8th, 1956, attempting to share the gospel with the Wodani Indians in Ecuador. And Jim Elliott, actually, he knew Christ from a very early age. He had this unusual sense um, of knowing Jesus Christ at the age of six, hearing these missionary stories as a kid, feeling a deep burden for those who are in the darkness and they don't know Jesus, and having a fire in his heart to be a missionary. And so when he went to Wheaton College, he met his wife, Elizabeth, and it was there that they heard of the Wadani tribe, which uh, named Saint. Um, uh, just uh, continued to, with others, uh, began to, to partner with them. They began to pray and say, Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? And they were just open to say, you know what? We want to, we feel like, God, you're calling us to go down to Quito, uh, Ecuador. And so they went down to Quito, Ecuador, learned Spanish and uh, learned um, the language. But they had a hard time finding the Wudani. So when they finally located the Wudani tribe, Nate Saint began to fly in with a plane and uh, they began to drop off supplies and just blur off uh, friendly Alka phrases. And uh, pretty soon they saw a beach in which they were able to land. So they landed on a beach and some Wudani Indians appeared, two ladies and a man. And they had some friendly interactions. They went home rejoicing that they actually got contact with the tribe. Uh, they even took up one and Kiwi um, up in a plane for a joyride. But when those Wudani, Wudani Indians came back, they actually lied about the missionary intention. So when they came back, wanting with them, the warriors with spears for them. And right before he died, Jim Elliott, he had and fingered and had to make a choice. Would he use his gun on the people he was called to serve or be killed? No. All the missionaries were instantly speared to death. And amazingly, Jim Elliott's wife went back to share the kingdom of God with those same Indians that killed her husband. She stayed there for two, over two years, and then eventually staying with her daughter, Rachel. And uh, through an opening from one of those Wudani ladies, Naomi, she stayed with the tribe um, and introduced them to the kingdom of God. And her love and her forgiveness for the tribe changed them to trust in Jesus. And now, or, and when, when that came, it led the entire tribe to be transformed into Christians. One of the first men to walk into the footprints of Jesus was Minkai, who were the same man who had speared Nate Saint and Ed McCauley. The tribe actually renamed itself from uh, Wodani to Warani, turning from their Alka roots, which meant savage, to display this powerful message of transformation. And as Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love hearing stories of people with a passion for the kingdom of God. I love hearing Judy's story. I love hearing about um, people sharing of what God is stirring in their hearts. We sent off and fought back tears as we said goodbye to the swan family as they, as they followed Jesus, but yet knowing with joy that they're going to bring unreached tribes into the kingdom. And even 
uh, God is also calling us to live out the kingdom here. I heard Bob Stroud here that he had just a heart for Spring Branch and for the 400 and 500 homes in his tract, and he wanted to start a house church in the fall because he feels that America is going to be hit with persecution and going into house churches. I love that. Bob is, is, is pushing 70. <laughs> I also heard Matt Lee and Jennifer share how they would love for Hope to be a conduit for the Denver Harbor community and how he longs to see that community transformed for the king. While everyone has different callings for the kingdom of God, we all live for an ultimate spiritual reality that overshadows the reality that we can see with our physical eyes and hear that puts a fire in us. That is the kingdom of God. That we are not satisfied with the candy that the world gives us, but by the richness of the glory of the kingdom of God. And thank God today wants to give us that invitation to something greater. And many of you have heard that Jeff Bezos has uh, been surpassed as the second richest man in the world. Um, and he was surpassed by Bernard Alnott, who purchased Tiffany & Company, biggest luxury brand acquisition ever. But he will be the one of the first civilians that will be going up and to blast off 60 miles above the earth into space with his younger brother, Mark Bezos, and on one of his rockets that his company, uh, Blue Origins, the new shepherd, um, had actually made. And can you imagine what that third seat costs? <laughs> it actually just closed, I believe, at a whopping $28 million for a seat. <laughs> I see, obviously, that's going somewhere pretty far. But what if that seat was yours? All expenses paid trip. Would you go? <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would go. <laughs> but what if on that day, July 20th, you had an all expenses paid front row seat to the Sugarland Skeeters game? $15, front seat, right behind, front, uh, front, right behind the home, home plate. And you'd be like, you know, of course, you know, of course I go to the Scooters game. It's a front row seat to a minor league baseball game. Well, if, I, if you said that to me, I would just say, you're crazy. You're crazy, right? There's no way. You're choosing Scooters over space? Come on now. In the same way God offers us this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This opportunity is not going to last a mere five minutes. It's going to last for eternity. In the same way, God calls us to experience not just kingdom life forever later on, but he calls us to experience kingdom life right now. And for me, I don't ever want to believe, just as Eddie was just preaching to us and just confessing of just, you know, just the ordinary dreams that we all have of just having a job and just having a suburban life and just having our family and just having our Coke or our In-N-Out or our Whataburger right in front of us and making those things our idols. I don't ever want to believe that that's kingdom life or that's better than kingdom life. I think the Lord has something greater. Amen? He has something so, so much greater. And that's what Paul had a burning, burning passion. And I, I see it, hope, that he's calling us to have this new 
passion, a new resurgence for the kingdom of God, that all hearts would burn for him and only for him, for his presence and for more of his kingdom. And that's what we see in the pages of Scripture in the closing pages of Acts. So let's go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 28, 23 to 27. And the Scripture says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Paul's main mission and message was the kingdom of God. Paul had endured so much leading up to his house arrest at Rome. The Jews had reviled him in almost every single city in Lystra and Derby. He had spoken um, uh, against people. He has done signs and wonders only be, to be captured, to be falsely accused, and thrown under arrest. But God was using it. He had spoken before two governors and a king, fulfilling God's calling of that Paul would be a chosen instrument of mine, that he would go and testify before Gentiles and before kings. And everywhere Christianity, though, was spoken against in the, in the passage before this in verse 22. And so we see this evidence of this, that the, the Roman Christians had a, a fuzzy gospel. They, they weren't understanding some of the basics, and thus that's why God had to use Paul to write to uh, the Jews in Rome. And they were curious to see what Paul had, had believed. So they set up a day, made up a, a, a time to meet at his lodging, and a ton of people showed up. Though he was under a lightened form of custody, he was given considerable freedom. He got access to writing and, and to receive visitors, but there he remained chained to a prisoner guard for who would change every six hours. But out of that time, what was burning in Paul's heart was this burning sense of the kingdom of God. The main subject of it was testifying to the kingdom of God. There was so much to talk about from morning to evening about the kingdom of God, from Genesis to the prophets, that you could just imagine Paul going at it and testifying. See, Paul didn't just simply share the gospel. He didn't share just a a quick hit, a 30-second gospel message. His goal was to testify to greater reality. What was that? It was that the kingdom of God is simply this, his redemptive rule and reign of God in the coming of the person of Jesus. Jesus came much more than just to forgive our sins. While that is true, he has done more than to resurrect from the dead, but he has come to establish and inaugurate the kingdom of Almighty God and to show his power and his authority and his rule, not only over us, but to principalities so that you, the church, is on display. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, 
You're on display to the heavenly authorities of how we receive and live out this kingdom of God. There's a grander redemption storyline, and the Jews have been in it from the beginning. And Paul did not hold back, but he just preached the entire council of Scripture starting from Genesis. Starting from Genesis, tragically, there was a fall in which Satan had tempted Eve, who led Adam, Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the garden, disobeying the God they were created for, for worship. Instead, Adam and Eve became little gods. They thought they could just rule over themselves, and which led to the fall. A rival kingdom came into power, the kingdom of Satan, which had already brought separation from God and his people. It brought people under sin and bondage to Satan, the prince of the power of the air, and suffering and death and disease in this world. All of God's creation was now held sway over the kingdom of the enemy and over their hearts. So that even not just their wills, but their joys, their affections, the things that's deepest in their hearts held sway under the uh, satanic authority of the enemy. Men and women rejected God, opting to rule themselves, and this has led to just immense death and suffering and justice. But it was only for a matter of time in which God promised to invade the world of sin to bring the glorious rule and reign of God back. And the surprising thing was that Paul testified to the kingdom of God that all will be fulfilled in the king. One who would perfectly fulfill the law of Moses and one who was spoken by way of the prophets. And this king would fulfill the law perfectly. He would speak prophetically and he would wipe away sadness. He would restore justice. He would bring healing to the sick and and restore sight to the blind. He will restore justice and mercy, and he will bring an end to the curse of sin, and he will bring the rule and reign of God back and usher in a perfectly right-side-up world at the time when he comes back again and asserts his authority. The kingdom of God is the glorious inbreaking of his power and his rightful rule over to the ends of the earth. And our entire storyline is this kingdom of God. Our very existence is to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here through our individual submission to King Jesus and then through the very ends of the earth, which I would say is the principal theme in Acts. Kingdom is actually mentioned eight times in Acts. It was mentioned in Philip's teaching, which we heard a couple weeks ago from Peter. Um, It was also mentioned in Paul's teaching, which we see here. And also we see it's mentioned in Jesus' teaching. It's so exciting. You see this, the kingdom of God forming bookends to Acts when it starts out that Jesus himself would teach on the kingdom of God for 40 days. Look, Turn back with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in the first three verses. And he says, he says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. That's amazing. The nation of Israel had this expectation, and honestly, it's because we don't necessarily read our Bibles. We, we gloss over this. But this is not just a, a, an optional course 
in the, in the lenses of gospel theology. This is the main course. There will be one who will be like Moses, who will be a greater prophet like Moses and fulfill the law. Deuteronomy 18, 18. One that would fulfill the law to execute justice over his enemies and be a better one than Moses. One who would be a king like David who would restore Israel's former glory days and make that just a faint glimmer of what was to come. And one who the prophets would bring a great day of the Lord and judgment on Israel's enemies and set up a reign where God's glory would fill the ends of the earth as the waters cover the sea. The disciples, there should have been no doubt that this is the king that he had long been waiting for. And that's why when you keep on going in verse 6, their main question after 40 days of preaching on this is this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Sorry about that. I'm getting excited. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But if you notice, there's one word missing. What was, that, what was that word? Or two words, I guess. Kingdom of God. Thank you, Jake. I told him the, I told him the answer. I was just so, so excited. <laughs> but kingdom of God. Their idea of kingdom had Israel above and over and above all the other nations, focusing on their own supremacy and glory. That's why they asked that question. Because they only cared, or they cared, they were more concerned about where this would put them, where this would put them on the map. They were focused on the national glory and supremacy of their own country and people, rather than the inclusions of the nations who were formally shut out to be grafted in and to be ushered into his reign and his rule. You see this syndrome all the way from Satan all the way to the disciples to now. That the chief, chief sin is to become, to try to become God. We try to become a better God than God himself. And that's when we say, God, I know better than you. Why do you let me go through this suffering? Right? I can do this job a little bit better than you, but I don't need this. You step aside. Or God... I got this parenting thing up all up in wraps. I can do this without, without you. So stand inside. I have a better idea of how to parent my kids and disciple them. We're constantly busy running our own kingdoms like the disciples did that we miss out on the greater invitation of the kingdom of God. And that's like giving up the $28 million rocket seat for a $15 bucket seat. So what happened when Paul testified? the kingdom of God. Slam down case, right? It's Paul. Wrong. Even the greatest preacher himself got rejected after preaching all the right things. Did you see that? This wasn't a slam dunk revival, right? This was not a Billy Graham crusade. Some just believed, some believed, but generally most people left when Paul just went at them with Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10. And whenever you bring out Isaiah, the big bad boy Isaiah, you know, <laughs> you're going to turn off people. Because he was saying, you know what, you're just like Isaiah's people. You are closed off. You're completely dulled in your senses. Your ears and your eyes are completely lost function. You cannot see. You cannot hear. And all you would need to do is turn to God for your healing, but you were not willing. In the same way Roman 
community, Jewish community, you suffered from the same hardened hearts. From the outside, it seemed that the kingdom of God was doomed to fall because if the Jewish people, they were the ones that should have received the kingdom of God and the gospel of God. But how can you say that the kingdom of God is advancing when his own people don't get it? How can you say that? How can you say that the kingdom of God is moving and victorious when his own people reject it? But that's where we can take heart. Brothers and sisters, Paul tells us that this is normal Christianity. God's word is spot on where it says that rejection is real, but it doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is not advancing. Far from it. Paul, in other places, he tells us that he never gives up hope in asking that the Jews would be saved. He had unceasing anguish and concern in Romans chapter 9, 1 through 3 for their salvation. Paul was gripped by a greater reality than the rejection that he saw, but he kept pressing on because the kingdom of God was unstoppable. Even when his own efforts seemed to stop short, he knew this, that the God of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ is moving. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Don't you love that? Though Paul's teaching ended up in rejection, the salvation of God advanced among the Gentiles. And he said, these guys are going to listen. They're going to have open hearts. They're going to have open ears and eyes. Paul proclaimed it, and he kept on going for two years. Can you imagine being under Paul for two years? But yet he gives us this directive for normal Christianity. This, what this looks like in chapter 28 is that this is a summing up of what Paul did in two years, if not his entire life mission. Though he is in prison, he receives anyone who wants to talk and listen, and then he preaches the gospel, the kingdom of God, at his own expense. Can you see this? I was so personally convicted of this, that if somebody were to write a book on my life, Lord forbid, it would be pretty boring, but if the Lord wrote on my life for 2020 and 2021, what could I say characterize my life? Can I say that what consumed me was the kingdom of God for two years? This has plagued me. This has led me to repentance. I looked at my own life and my controlling life and my mission, and God, have I been faithful to the kingdom of God for two years so that if you were given two years out of my life, can I say that I've been faithful? I think I've been drastically, fell drastically short. I confess, I have turned inwards so many times. There has been times in which I know the Lord has been calling me to speak to neighbors and to friends, and I have just put up my feet on the coffee table and ignored the call of God. When, when the Lord was pressing me to go forward, I just went on with the chit-chat and not obeying the Holy Spirit's prompting. And I, I just, it just led me to confession and just saying, like, Lord, I don't 
want to live be- like this because the more I do this, the more I turn off my eyes and the more I turn off my ears and the more I become like the people that Isaiah was, was preaching to and the more I look like Paul's community. I don't want to do that because I know, Lord, you want me to dive in. You want me to dive into the kingdom of God right here. You've called me to live here in my city. You've called me to live as a kingdom proclaimer. You've given me the authority through your death and resurrection to proclaim signs and miracles. You've called me to be a man of prayer. You've called me to be a person who deals with suffering and struggles and to lament and to struggle with people. You've called me to, to do more. And I want that, God. I so want that, Lord. But Lord, help me. I am so, so weak. And I don't know about you if you've had that feeling the last year or so and you're just kind of on cruise control and you just want out of that. You just want God to move in power and you want to see God's kingdom come just like what we see out of the pages of Acts, just like what we see uh, in Judy, just being a living example. I want to see that, and I think we all do want to see that. And it really shows that this is the central message of Acts. He gives us a bold invitation. Why doesn't he, why does he just end right here? Is it that, that, that Luke was riding along, he didn't know what was going to happen to Paul? Um, is this because the mission was a failure? Rome was not the ends of the earth. You might look at this abrupt ending and be like, whoa, where is this going? But I think it's long story short. I think the open ending is that it's an invitation to his people to join his mission. It's a clarion call that God's kingdom of mission, of taking his word by to the ends of the earth, continues with the faithful people of God through an ordinary people of God who are bold for the kingdom of God. You see, Acts is not a downer. If it is about Paul, then it's about a downer. But Acts is not about Paul. It's about the gospel. And while Paul is bound and chained in a prison, God's message is not bound and chained. Amen? The kingdom of God endures despite persecution, imprisonment, pain of rejection, God's best servants leading to suffering and being under house arrest. But to those who are bold and faithful, the kingdom of God continues. And one example of this is that Paul's imprisonment, during that time, it was under the Roman Empire, which they brutally crushed those who opposed anybody uh, or the Caesar. But yet, news extended as Paul was in prison. That was fuel to extend to the entire imperial guard. And you'll see that right out of the pages of Philippians 1.13, that Paul was in chains and it was known to all the guard because of the gospel of Christ. These chains did not put the fire out of Paul. It emboldened him. And the Spirit of God comes upon those who are faithful, who are bold and unabashed. And God is calling us to believe and to rise up that this kingdom of God is unstoppable. And we can't go, it has remarkable ways of advancing. And that's why we're called to be faithful because we don't know where the kingdom of God is going next. So expect opposition. Expect that people will come against you. Don't be a jerk for Jesus, right? It doesn't mean you go out and argue people into the kingdom. There is a place for apologetics, yes. Uh, But there's a place for compassion, yes. And there's a place to come before the living God and to ask them to do only what he can do. And so we are calling God to give us new boldness. We are asking if we really saw the kingdom of God as displayed in these scriptures and we see the greatness of our God, how powerful and amazing and how glorious and how unbounded his kingdom is, 
do everything and surrender even the good things in our life to go out and serve him wherever he's called us. Amen. And so let's pray that over our body. Let's pray that over our kids. I think the Lord has put hope under certain times of spiritual attack because I think he wants to do that in our kids. We were talking about that the other day in which our kids are going to be going through stuff and struggles that we don't even know and understand in this generation. They have so much temptation, but we need to pray that God would raise up Simeons and God would raise up Pauls and God would raise up unabashed Jim Elliot's and go out for the kingdom of God in compassion and love. And I think I would like us to just stand as we invite you into a time of prayer. And I would like you to just close your eyes and um, take this time to commune with the Lord. Ask him, where do I need fresh boldness in light of my fear? God, where have you been pressing into me? You need to unleash me for the kingdom of God and for glory of his name because he's worthy for the sake of your gospel. Lord, help me not to be fearful. I know there's people who are dealing with fear in this room. Maybe it's speaking to a, a, a neighbor that doesn't share the same convictions that you do. In fact, they're animatedly against it. But you know the Lord is pressing in. Lord, maybe it is for you that you're just apathetic and just not really feeling the kingdom of God and just not cluing in and just not having that passion and that joy that you once had. Maybe a step for you is just to say, Jesus, you're the king. I want you more than anything, Lord. Help me to surrender to you. Help me to see you in all of your greatness and your glory. That I would do whatever you want me to do, but Lord, I want to be in your presence and I want you to move. Lord, will you move in power in this time as we invite men to, to pray with uh, another man and women to pray with women. And uh, Lord, as we invite this special time of surrender that God, you would do whatever you want to do in our lives, in our midst, that we would see the kingdom of God work in fresh ways and hope, that you would see 